morning, church. How are we feeling this morning? All right, anyone have any stake in the games tonight? Any Packers fans, Chiefs fans? Packers, okay. Anyone else? Well, oh, okay. Well, listen, you know, again, no matter what, God is good regardless of the outcome tonight. For all you state fans in the room, praying for y'all a little extra hard today. Listen, it's crazy to think the triangle of North Carolina basketball is just kind of like, where's they at this year? It's super weird. But week three as a dad has been super great. We are continuing to navigate the crazy, wild, intimidating, beautiful, scary world of parenting. And I think the most notable thing this week has, for the last two nights, we've gotten seven hours each night of bassinet sleeping. So listen, it's one of the, thank you, thank you. All thanks to Denise, I, uh, I told her, like, there's this weird state that I'm in where, like, as a dad to a top, to, a, like, a newborn, I feel kind of irrelevant. Like, he's not looking for my body for nourishment, and he, does, he did not live inside me for nine months. So I'm like, I don't know what to do with this little guy, except for hold on to him until he gets upset because he wants his mom, and then he cries. So it's just this, this vicious cycle. But her time's coming because when he's a toddler, it's game on. Like, he will be sleeping great whenever I can wear him out every single day. So it's going to be awesome. But yeah, Denise and Ivy, both doing great. We have our first pediatrician check up next Friday, and then hopefully after that, we can navigate getting out of our house, because we really have not left the house since the second week of December, and I'm a social butterfly. My wings are flapping pretty hard, but we'll get it figured out. So for those of you who have enjoyed this series on Proverbs, today is going to be the last Sunday, so hopefully some of you are kind of upset, and hopefully none of you are like, whew, I'm ready to get out of King Solomon and all the crazy weird things he has to say, but we're going to look at one more sin that can really be a hurdle in the life we live on this earth. And one thing I mentioned last week is that you and I, as Christ followers, our standing in a relationship with Jesus is permanent, it's sealed, and it is marked as full and perfect. That you and I, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, he has taken away all of our sin from us. That sin no longer has control on us in his view. But in this life, in this life that we deal with consequences of poor choices, sin is obviously still a pretty big part of our lives. Because when we invest in decisions that are bad, foolish, or just unwise, there are consequences. And today, we're going to tackle pride. And pride is a very fun one to talk about, because envy is prevalent in a lot of people's lives and all the ones we talked about, but pride's interesting, because pride either comes across as very obvious or very subtle. And let's go ahead and put it out there. We're not the type of church that as soon as I said, we're going to talk about pride, you like elbowed the person next to you. Like, I hope you're listening, buddy, because this one's coming for you. Or hopefully you didn't text someone the link to the live stream. and be like, you should probably watch this. It's just the Lord telling me you should watch it. Like, we're not that type of church. So no one did that for sure. But we're going to tackle pride. And one thing that is true about pride is kind of easy to define, but the way it's lived out can be very, very immeasurable. So pride, trusting yourself too much or thinking too much of yourself. Now, when I was growing up, I really didn't feel like I struggled with pride knowingly until I got to high school. And this is not a bash on JRTC. I was very successful at JRTC back in my high school. In fact, once I started, there was sort of this drive to be the highest ranking cadet. And by some miracle of a way, I ended up being the highest ranking cadet. And I think what it was for me was when I got to that point, I wanted to be able to get to my senior year, have that rank on my collar, look in the mirror, and go, I did that. Despite what people may say, I was the one who put in the work. I'm the one who did the workouts. I'm the one who studied the 
material. I'm the one who got the discipline, all this stuff. And believe it or not, girls don't flock to the highest ranking cadet in GRTC. Just throwing that out there for all high school students. Don't put all your stock in that. And so going from, so like here I am, you know, peak of what you would consider JRTC. And I, I just felt like I was on top of the world. And I could look at myself and be like, man, Davey, like you kicked your butt to make that happen. And then I went to college at the Citadel, which is a military college. And I felt that same sort of drive. Like, Davey, give your all, learn the material, do the discipline, get in shape, do what you need to, to get that rank. Because when you get that rank, you can look in the mirror and go, man, I did that. Like I put in the work for that and I deserve that. And the thing about pride, though, is that it really blinds you to your ability to care for those around you. Because when I was in high school trying to run my own race, what I didn't realize is that people are kind of getting knocked to the side a little bit as I'm so focused on me and my pathway to high rank. And with my high rank, even, the ability to, to look at someone who's a freshman and when I didn't want to go do something that I considered minimum effort or below me, I would make a freshman do it because I had the, the rank on my shoulder that I earned to say, hey, you should go do this because I don't do that stuff. And I'll never forget in college, one of my ministry leaders that I had at that time, he became very infamous in the ministry group because he said a quote when he had a certain position of power at the Citadel. He looked at a group of students who were coming into the, the ministry at that time and said, you know, honestly, I'm just very proud of my humility. And I'll never forget that quote, <laughs> because when you wrestle that quote to the ground, you're like, what? How could you have the courage to look at people and say, I am so proud of how humble I am? It's like, what? <laughs> and then you go lead people? It's crazy. So anytime I feel pride coming up, I always think of that quote. Like, is it really that big of a deal? So senior year, I realized, man, how I was just so prideful about this idea of doing whatever it took for me to get ahead and not just to get ahead, but for me to look back and go, me, myself alone did that. And if that's not what the world preaches to us, and if that's not what the world challenges us to do more than anything else, I don't know what is. Life has created this dynamic and this philosophy of running a rat race where you're willing to step on or push over whoever it takes to get where you want to go. And when you get to the end of your life or you get to that position, that promotion, that salary, you look at yourself and go, man, that was all me. It wasn't the people who groomed me and cared for me. It wasn't the guardians who helped me grow up well. It wasn't the people who rescued me from danger. It was all me. And that sort of lifestyle and that self-centeredness wreaks havoc on us. And so King Solomon has a lot that he had to say about pride and what it does in our lives. And so the first verse we have, I think, is Proverbs 16, verses 18 through 20. And Solomon wrote, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So those are some good verses, but that first little section, I mean, that's eye-catching. Pride goes before destruction. And I think if you and I, no matter what age we're at, no matter what occupation, and no matter how life is gone, when we look at our lives and the things that we held with our hands and we labored and we strained and we put all of our own energy into, it, I feel like everything in my life when I look back at those, they did lead to some sort of destruction. And destruction here is not like this cataclysmic blow up that wrecks your whole life. It can just be the fact it didn't work out. And you and I have to realize that broken humans trying to make things happen more than often not lead to another state of brokenness. That the things that you and I want to have full control over, 
they just don't work. And so there's this call, this need, and this desire for a greater hope, for a greater person to work in our lives to make things not lead to destruction. But we'll never find that person, and we'll never be a people who don't lead to destruction if pride just continues to just manifest in our lives. And I love how, you know, he starts with, oh yeah, your pride is going to lead you to destruction. But King Solomon at the very end of this, it says, blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. And I love that because, you know, blessed tends to have this sort of stigma of financial provision or monetary reality. But like to bless someone is to just make their life better, to find a way to enrich someone's life. And so our lives, the lives that you and I have and the goals that we have, they are blessed or they are enriched in the trusting of the Lord. A Lord and a God who says, hey, I created everything. I control all things on the individual scale of your life and the 8 billion people that exist in this world. When we can get to a place where we go, you know, maybe I'm not the one who caused myself to be in such great success. Maybe I'm not the one who got me to the place of promotion. Maybe there was God working in the midst of that. And when you and I get to that place of recognition that there's a God working in mysterious, confusing, and sometimes tough ways, ultimately, we, ultimately we, we realize that a life trusting in the Lord is so much more blessed-filled than a, a life of pride and thinking that we did it all. The next one, Proverbs 28, 26, Solomon wrote, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. This could kind of be like the staple verse of the entire series we've done in Proverbs, that whoever trusts in their own mind is a fool. We don't use that word a lot, but this reality that when you and I, when we stay inside our, our own heads, it can be very scary. If I could ever wish the worst upon someone, it would be to spend an hour in my brain because it can be scary to me and I have to deal with it 24-7. It is so crazy to think whenever I try to just come up with my plans and my ideas and my own mind and I'm like, I gotta get out of this, but I can't. So you guys are all lucky that you don't have to be inside my mind. But when I find myself getting out of my headspace and looking at the pathway that Jesus has set before me, the pathway that God is not only you know, pushing me towards, but walking with me on, I feel so delivered from my pride. I feel delivered from shame and guilt. This reality of walking with Jesus, like active walking, changes everything about what we feel and what we experience in this life. But trusting in our own, it's crazy. It's dark. It can be very intimidating and scary. And so we have to get out of this place of, I got this, let me do it, and go, I don't have this. God, please take this from me. I've really started to work on that, like, very aggressive surrender. Like, Lord, I don't want this. I need you to take it and do something with it if you want me to continue to do something with it. And so that's, like, the obvious pride that we kind of know, thinking too much of yourself, all that good stuff. But it's interesting, when I kind of wrestled to the ground this pride, I realized another more subtle aspect of pride existed in my life. And there's no coin term for it. I may trademark it. I don't know. We'll see. I probably don't have the energy or mindfulness to trademark anything anymore. But another sort of subtle pride is this idea of not receiving help. There's this sort of underlying pride that exists in all of us at certain moments where we sort of reject the help or another way to look at it, the blessing of someone else. And here's a very easy way to think about that. Let's say Denise and I, we go out to dinner with some good friends and we're having a great time just chatting, shooting the breeze, and suddenly the bill comes. And it, you know, before dinner happened, I set myself up to say, you know what, 
we're going to bless these people. You know, if we're going to spend the time to take them to McDonald's, we can at least pay for them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I'm not. That would be the reality right now. <laughs> but, like, listen, if we're taking them out to dinner, we're going to treat them. And as we go to pay, suddenly my friend goes, hey, Davey, like, don't worry about it. We got you. So there's two things that can happen, right? Number one, I cannot let pride take over. And I can go, what? Thank you so much, man. Like, I appreciate that. Or there can be this inkling of pride that says, Davey, are you just going to let someone, like, treat you like that? Because I'm going to, pride's going to convince me that they thought I was desperate. They thought I needed this sort of gift or this charity. And so I struggle with that pride more than I do the thinking of myself too much. I have been in a constant trend when I look back on my life of, like, when people try to do something good for me, my response is not thank you, it's I got you next time. How can I pay you back? What can I do to make it up to you? When the reality is the same opportunity I have to bless people, God gives to other people to bless me. But when I let pride sort of block that, it's very robbing for them. It's very short-sighted to be like, hey, listen, I just want to keep blessing you, but when you try to bless me, I don't really want it. I don't need your charity. I don't need your kindness, your, your goodness, like all that stuff. And so it's funny. I tell people all the time, especially when I meet them for the first time, I love when people buy me lunch. I love when people buy me meals and coffee. So I've really made that my mantra. So just let you all know, if you, uh, if you feel so inclined, I'm always up for it and always ready to be blessed by anyone else in this room. So when it comes to pride, we all have it. We all deal with it in certain ways. And I think one of my favorite characters in the Bible that demonstrates pride really well is the disciple Peter. Now, Peter is one of those guys that I feel like we can pick on a lot because when, there's a, when it comes to a disciple that puts his foot in his mouth as much as we do in this life, Peter is that guy. When you look at all the gospel accounts of Peter's life, it seems like he's always being like corrected. And you're like, oh man, poor Peter. And then we look at our lives and we're like, oh, we get it. That makes sense. And so what's incredible about Peter is he's, at, he's in this one moment. And this is in the, the book of John. And this is the Last Supper, as a lot of us know it. And for those of you unfamiliar, the Last Supper is really kind of what started the communion tradition that we partake here, where Jesus was having this really incredible meal with his disciples, and there was just a lot of tension in the air and a, and a lot of weight because Jesus was telling them, hey, this is pretty much the, the first step in me starting to surrender my life to a cross. And of course, the disciples were not the biggest fans of that, but at this dinner, Jesus took a piece of bread and he broke it, and he said, hey, eat this in remembrance of my body that is broken for you. And then he takes some wine and says, hey, drink this in remembrance of my blood that's shed for you. And then Judas got like a weird phone call and he stepped out and he didn't show back up. <laughs> Crazy, right? And so in the midst of this dinner though, Jesus begins to do something very uncharacteristic. He begins to wrap a towel around his waist and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And in this context for this culture, they didn't have Nikes and Adidas and Reeboks on their feet. They wore sandals. And the land that they walked on was not very industrialized. So it was all dust, sand, dirt, and all this stuff. So people's feet stayed pretty dirty. And so if you could, in order to just be polite and courteous, you would try to wash your feet before you came inside a house. It was not always the case. And really, for those who consistently had their feet washed, so to speak, it was those in power of authority, royalty, those who had servants who would wash their feet. The disciples were very aware of this. Jesus was aware of this. And so at this dinner, Jesus wraps a towel around himself and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, 
I'm sure all the disciples felt weird about it and really questioned why this rabbi, their teacher, the proclaimed son of God would start to do this. But no disciple says anything except for Peter because Peter, again, loves to, to just throw himself out there. And I think that's what I love about Peter. He's willing to, to risk it all. And so in this moment, John wrote that Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Now, for us, this seems like a very sort of honorable statement that Peter would make. Because seemingly in the statement, Peter's going, Jesus, like, you're too good for this. You, you are too high on the royalty chain to do this to such a lowly servant. Like, I, Peter is saying, I am nothing. Jesus, you are everything. You don't deserve this. You shouldn't be doing this. What are you doing? And Jesus' next response is pretty jarring. Because he says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And I think the most important part about this is that Peter did not reconcile and understand the weight of this moment. Rightfully so. None of us would have if we're sitting there with Jesus, the Son of God, washing our feet. We would not know what to do either. We would try to push him away and go, Jesus, this is not you. This is not in your character. If you're the Son of God, I should be washing your feet. Every single step you take, someone should be there washing your feet and taking care of you. But Jesus is demonstrating right now in this moment something small compared to what he was going to do on a much grander scale on a cross. And so Jesus went on and said in this account, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And the crazy reality about this is imagine yourself as the person getting their feet washed by Jesus. That weird tension you would feel, like, Jesus, you shouldn't be doing this. There's no way you should have any desire to wash my dirty feet. And again, not just physically dirty, but you and I, sinners, man, for Jesus to even be in our presence should be one of the most mind-blowing realities that we celebrate and get to live in. But what I love about this account is Jesus is trying to teach them that up until this point, Jesus has taught the disciples very well the importance of serving. Jesus has said, serve the widows, serve the orphans, serve your enemies, all these things, like be a person of serving. And in this one crucial moment, he enters into a totally different approach and says, and sometimes you've got to get your feet washed. And that's tough because Peter's pride said, I don't deserve this, don't do it. And Jesus said, if you don't let me do this, you'll never understand what it looks like to let people be a blessing to you. And if Jesus of all people would lower himself enough to wash Peter's feet, surely the call for us today is to not only be feet washers, but sometimes to let people wash our own feet. And that's tough. Because sometimes, like I said, you're in that Starbucks drive-thru and someone paid for you and you're like, this is weird. I don't even know if I like this. Like I just get to drive away from Starbucks with a free coffee and whatever else. And coffee from Starbucks costs like $25. So like, it's crazy. But there's this reality where when we are being blessed, when we're being cared for by people, especially when it's random and, un and we didn't see it coming, there's a tension. What can I do to pay you back? I got you next time. No, man, don't do this. Let me take care of it. Instead of just going, thank you. Like, this feels great. I needed that. I've had a miserable week, and this totally turned the tide of my week. And so Jesus, in this moment, obviously demonstrated a lot of humility. 
And he demonstrated a lot of this servant attitude that really keeps pride at bay. But what's even more incredible is that the Apostle Paul, in a, church, in a letter to a church in Philippi, writes probably one of the most challenging, beautiful, convicting, and just encouraging words about Jesus and the character of humility that Jesus demonstrated. So in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5, this is what Paul wrote. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I think if every person in the world, regardless of faith, were to read this passage every morning, I think it would completely wreck the way we do our lives. Because you and I get so caught up in that salary, that promotion, that position, that status, that label, whatever it is. And it's so easy to go, man, that's all me. I did that. And I, and I like that. I like that I could do that. It feels good. But I would challenge all of us every single day to take all of our accomplishments, every single thing we've done, no matter how old you are, no matter what's ahead, whatever. If we take all of ours and we stack it up next to this one thing that Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he died for our sins, and then he came back to life. If you stack your accomplishments next to that and still feel like bragging, I think you deserve to brag if you really feel that way. You've earned it if you feel like you've outdone that. But when you and I look at the reality of what Jesus did on a cross, and we look at the reality of what Jesus did with an empty tomb, nothing compares. Nothing can compare to the love patience, generosity, the kindness of everything that Jesus demonstrated, but mostly that humility. Because if there's anyone who walked on this earth that should be able to flex and own the titles that he has been given, it's Jesus, only person. The Jesus who decided, though I'm God's son, I'm gonna come to this world and I'm gonna face it all. I'm gonna face every temptation, every stomach ache, every toothache, every weird growing up ache. Does your body ever just hurt when you get older? I'm starting to feel that. I don't like it. So, Jesus faced it all and took it all on so that as the, the writer in Hebrews said, we have a great high priest who gets us, who doesn't look up from his lofty cloud and say, your stomach hurts. I don't really know what that feels like, but here's some healing. He goes, I was there. Oh, you're mourning over the loss of a loved one. I stood in front of my friend Lazarus' tomb and just cried because it was too much. Oh, you're, you're feeling rejected and hurt. I walked through life constantly being rejected and hurt not just so I could die on a cross and come back to life, but that when you call upon me, I can look at you and say, I get it. I've been there. And because I've been there, because I, I have the incredible opportunity to be God's son, I can do something about it. So when you and I feel these moments of pride, we have to realize if Jesus is human or was human when he was on this earth, he had to feel that temptation. In fact, it was one of the temptations he faced when he was in the wilderness with the enemy. Take pride in yourself a little bit. If you say who you say you are, save yourself. When he was hanging on a cross, he could have called legions of angels down, rescued him, story would have gone a little different, but it would have been over. Jesus' suffering would have been done and away with. 
But Jesus owned humility every step of the way. He never leveraged his power. He never leveraged his title. He never looked at someone and said, I'm Jesus, bow before me or get out of the way. He took everything. He emptied himself, metaphorically and literally emptied himself for you and I to live a life. That's jarring. That is crazy. It blows my mind. But man, I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful that though the cause of humility is very, very miserable sometimes, Jesus has demonstrated it's worth it. And so for me, as someone who goes through this life, you know, I'm always willing to wash your feet. I just don't want my feet washed because I, I, I should be able to afford a meal or I, I shouldn't have to owe you, but it's not that. Letting someone wash my feet means I'm letting someone step into a place of blessing and kindness. And you begin to get a different perspective of how good it feels to wash feet when you finally have that moment where you get your feet washed. Because we all need it, y'all. Life's tough. Yeah, we're, we're called to be servants, but sometimes you just, you just gotta have a moment, right? Where someone steps into your life, surprises you, and just takes care of you. Or something as subtle, subtle as a coffee. Own that. Tell them thank you. And that's it. Say thank you. Can't give them a hug right now, but hopefully one day we can hug people again when they do nice stuff to us. But just say thank you. And so for you and I, as we go through this life and we battle pride, when we realize and remember the humility of Jesus, pride has no place in our life. Because how can we compare? How can we compare what any of us have ever done compared to what Jesus has already done and Jesus is still doing? Jesus' death and resurrection are obviously incredible statements of his love, but every single day you and I wake up with breath He's saying, here, take life. Yeah, the day may be rough, but like, I'm still your father. I'm still your savior. And even in that, it just embeds in us a little bit of humility that we, just, we don't randomly wake up with breath. It's because there's a God moving and, wor- and working every single day to do something with us. Worship team, y'all got another one? You can come on up. So no matter what pride looks like, y'all, if you feel like pride is something that, re- that you wrestle with every single day, that Philippians section, it'll help to read that every day, to wake up and set your mind on the Jesus of humility. To know that when he died on a cross and came back to life, the spirit of humility came into our lives. And sometimes it's, it's hard to just, you know, be like, oh man, I'm feeling really prideful. Let me just talk to Jesus because we're tempted to, to own that pride and keep walking with it. But that spirit's in you. And the spirit of humility that is in you is more powerful than any pride you will have. And the spirit of humility that is in you works and moves in this world in a way that no other force can match it. So let's own that. Let's own that humility. Let's empty ourselves every day for loved ones, strangers, enemies, whatever it is. Because Jesus did it for his enemies. And for all of us sitting in this room, at one point, we were enemies of Jesus. His love for us said, hey, you're worth emptying my life for. I want to wash your feet because I want you to go out and do the same. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for leading by example. Thank you that you never call us and ask us to do something that you would not at first go and do yourself. So Father, as we are tempted to let pride take place in our lives, may we realize that it has no place when put up next to you. 
but the love and compassion and kindness that you had for us should make pride run away as fast as possible. And I pray that as we continue to look at you and see you and study you and fall more in love with you, that we would learn what it means to put on humility every single day. Because it is a game changer to be humble servants of God. And so, Lord, just continue to lead us, continue to direct us. And we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.